You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Well, good morning, church. My name is, is Chris. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm going to be taking us through the word this morning as we continue on in the book of Exodus. Uh, as, as Royce was up here and he was doing the announcements, I couldn't help but, but hear Landon talking next to me. As, as he was saying who he was, Landon was saying, we all know you. We all, we all know who you are. You don't have to say your name. We all know you, Grandpa. Um, and I think, I think that's an apt point to make. Um, we, we know who he is. We know who a lot of each of us are. Um, but still in the midst of that, we all have this desire to be known. We all have it. We all want to be known. Uh, a prime example of this is, is social media. Um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. These are all platforms that we as people use to make our presence known. There are different reasons for it, you know. Um, I tell myself personally that, that I'm using these platforms to, to stay in touch with friends and family that, that are far and wide that are not here today, that are not around us. Um, specifically, I tell myself and, and my wife as well, in her description on her Instagram account, that this is where I stash all my kid pictures so that my family, who doesn't live here, can see them as they grow up. It's, it's, it's unashamed, like, if you're here, you're going to see a whole lot of pictures of my kids, and that's what you're in for. Um, but, but we're selective about this. We're selective in the way that we reveal ourselves. We're selective in the way that we want to be known by others. Um, you see, we may display one aspect of ourselves that we want somebody to see, but, but hide another. Perhaps it, for you, it's your personality. You're engaging and likable, so you want people to see that side of you. Or, or maybe it's you're talented in some particular area, it's sports, music, the arts. Or it could be even that you've, you've accomplished some pretty impressive things. You've won awards, you've started a company, you've graduated with honors. We all want to be known. And as we've been working through the book of Exodus, it has been made very clear that God desires to make himself known. To be known as the covenant, promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To be known as the God who reveals himself. To be known personally in name as Yahweh. I am the Lord as a God who is self-sufficient, self-existent, creator, consistent, and eternal. To be known as the God who hears the cries of his people, and to be known as the God who will deliver his people. See, make no mistake, the Lord will be known. He will be known in Egypt and in all of the world. The Lord will be known. In our text this morning, Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, 
we will see that the Lord will be known as he engages the head, the heart, and the hands of the people. Now, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I would, I would ask you to go ahead and, and open it up or power it up for those of us that use a smartphone and, and go to Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, and then I ask that you would please stand with me as we read the word. We stand in honor of God's word, in honor of the scriptures as it is revealed and it's to us. The text will also be up on the screen for those of you that, that don't have a Bible or a smartphone. Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your revealed word to your people and that this morning we get to dive in and and see how you make yourself known, how you made yourself known to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and that in the same way you are still making yourself known today. We thank you for that. In your name, amen. You may be seated. The Lord will be known. And the first way that the Lord will make himself known is he will start with the head. This is the, the head, this is the place where, where knowledge and information are, are taken in, they're developed, and then it's, it's, it comes out through words. It is here in the head that God will first make himself known to Pharaoh. Verses 1 through 2 say, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command to you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. God was going to make himself known to Pharaoh in a way that he recognized and understood it would be culturally relevant and engaging to Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh saw himself as a god. He was a deity. It was a basic religious principle of the time in ancient Egypt that that Pharaoh was the incarnation of the gods. So they saw themselves as possessing divine authority and power. To this Pharaoh, who saw himself as a god, Moses would become like God to him. You see, as Moses entered the throne room of the king of Egypt, he would do so with the divine authority, Yahweh, the Lord, speaking and acting through him. God would make himself known to Pharaoh and put him in his proper place. 
through Pharaoh, through Moses, a mere man chosen to do the will of God and to act in his divine accord. Now, this, this may not may seem like a great thing, but think about it. Pharaoh, this, this God-man, this self-proclaimed deity, having Moses, this, this baby that was taken out of a basket, raised in his own household, is now coming before him and acting as God to him. How enraging that must have been to Pharaoh. How it must have driven him insane. <laughs> Just think about it. <clears throat> but Pharaoh would have recognized what was taking place here because Moses came with his own prophet, his own mouthpiece. See, this is a way that, that Pharaoh would have typically spoken to his people, to his subjects, to those that he ruled over. He wouldn't speak directly to his people. No, that would, that would have been too, too much for his people to take. So he spoke to an advisor, or he spoke to his own mouthpiece, his own prophet, that would then go before the people and speak Pharaoh's words so that they could receive it and they could understand. Pharaoh had a, had a great understanding of what was happening here. Moses was coming before him with his own mouthpiece, his own prophet, to make God known. <clears throat> and, and, but a prophet. Now what, now, what is a prophet? It's not, it's not exactly a word that we hear every day, especially outside of a church context. Well, a prophet in the Bible is someone who speaks the words of God. It's someone who had the ability to intercede on behalf of others. And here in our text, Moses' prophet is his brother, Aaron. And we, we haven't heard much about Aaron up until this point. We know that he's Moses' older brother, that he came out to meet Moses in the wilderness, and that God's going to use him. Um, but just a few verses before this, in chapter 6, uh, we're not going to go through it all because I know a lot of us don't like genealogies <laughs> um, by and large. And I think if you're like me, typically when you come to a genealogy in, in the Bible, you try to read through it as quickly as you can because it's a lot of complicated names that are hard to pronounce and that it's hard to follow along of, of what it means. But as you, as you dig in and as you look at this genealogy that is revealed in, in Exodus chapter 6, you you're able to see something about who Moses is and who Aaron is, his brother. It's saying that Aaron and Moses, they're, they're just Hebrews. They're Hebrew men that are used by God. And specifically, they are direct descendants of Abraham, the patriarch of the Hebrew people. And, and what they are is, is not just a descendant of Abraham, they're of a specific tribe of the family of Israel. They're of the tribe of Levi. They're of the Levites. And this, this will become important as we go along in the book of Exodus and as we get forward is that the Levites would become the priests of the people. They would be the ministers. They would be the ones that would oversee. They would intercede on behalf of the people before God, and they would make the presence of God known before them. You see, Aaron is important in this because Aaron is the first priest of the Levites. He is the high priest. He is the one who, 
stands before the people. He is the one that, that makes the Lord known in that way. And so that, you know, we might, with that, we might like lift Aaron up and we might put him on this pedestal and think, oh, Aaron's this like great guy. He gets to be the high priest and stand before the Lord and intercede on their behalf. But in the genealogy, we see that while Aaron had his successes, he was very instrumental in being used by God through Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. He also had some skeletons in his closet. He also had quite a few failures. You see, as we get along in the book of Exodus, we'll see that God has brought his people out of Egypt and he has taken them to the foot of the mountain of God where he is dwelling among them in great clouds of fire and smoke in his powerful presence. And Aaron, poor Aaron, (laughs) what he does is he takes a bunch of gold for his people who are complaining and unsure that God is even there, he throws it in the fire, and he makes for them a golden calf that they can worship. See, this Aaron, this this high priest of the Lord, who is supposed to direct the people to God, succumbed to the pressures of the people and created for them an idol to worship instead. That's pretty bad. (laughs) And not only that, then Aaron would have some kids, and, and his two oldest kids they, they would also be priests. And as they were ministering before the Lord, these, these two priests, they got creative with the way that they wanted to minister before the Lord. And so they went in, and contrary to the exact way that God had told them to worship him, they offered a sacrifice. They offered a burnt offering that was unacceptable to the Lord. And so what did God do? He lit them up. He burned them in fire and smoke, and they died. Not, not the greatest credentials here. But then Aaron would also go on to have a grandson, Phineas, who was zealous and passionate for the righteousness of the Lord, and he would stand in the midst of the people, and he would judge them because they would wander off in ways of worshiping God that were contrary to his design. See, this Aaron has a, is a mixed bag. High highs and low lows. He's, he's a normal guy who's trying to walk humbly before the Lord and be faithful. These were the credentials of Aaron, Moses' prophet. Now, now why why spend this time? Why spend this time unpacking who Aaron was and, and his credentials and his qualifications and his background? Well, I think it's because us as people we can get a little obsessed with credentials, you know? MBA, PhD, MDiv, whatever other initial you want to place behind somebody's name. Those, those letters, we associate them with authority. We associate with those letters some, some knowledge, some, some information that, that they have spent all this time and all this energy studying and growing and knowing, and so they, they must be believable. If I want to know about business, I have to go to somebody who has an MBA because they're a master of business. Or if I want to uh, understand maybe some, something about philosophy, I have to go to somebody that has a PhD because they have spent half their life studying this information. We get obsessed with credentials, and as, as part of that, 
It cripples us as God's people. As God's people, we think, well, I'm just a normal guy. I don't, I don't have the credentials to do this. I don't have the credentials to, to share the word of God. I'm just a normal guy. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. You know, I've, I've read my Bible, but I don't have any credentials. I'm uneducated. I don't know what I'm doing. And we forget that the apostles themselves, many of those who were the 12 that walked with Jesus himself, were uneducated, common men who boldly spoke the words of the Lord before the people. God engages people. He uses words to influence. And it doesn't matter our credentials. Our background can be a mixed bag. But we are to be faithful with the words that God has given us. See, the Lord will be known in Egypt and in the world as he engages the head, as he conveys information and knowledge about himself through his word and through the mouths of his people. But it doesn't end with the head. It doesn't end with knowledge and words and the transfer of information. The Lord will be known in the heart. And in Pharaoh's case, this would be through the hardening of his heart. Verses 3 through the first part of 4 say, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. You see, the heart refers to the whole of the intellect, the will and the emotions from which a person acts. It is here in the heart that God would make himself known to Pharaoh through experience and emotion. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be through the softening of Pharaoh's heart. It would be through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. You see, the hardening and this hardening of a heart, as it's described through the, the various Hebrew verbs and words, is to mean to act contrary to the Lord rather than in accord with the Lord. Now, just simply said, it's to be in rebellion against God. To have a hard heart is to be rebellion against God and his ways and what he is calling you to and what he is, what he is doing. <clears throat> You're acting in disobedience rather than in obedience. And this is precisely what Pharaoh was doing. As we saw last week when Moses and Aaron first came before Pharaoh and declared, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. To this direct instruction, to these direct words from the Lord, Pharaoh scoffed and questioned, who is this God? Who is this Lord? And why should I listen to him? His heart was hardened as he was disobedient to God. Now there's there's a tension here that we can't ignore. The text says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now to this you might say, well, hold up now. That doesn't seem very fair. 
poor Pharaoh. He had no choice. It was God who hardened his heart. He, there was nothing else for him to do. How can he be held responsible? <clears throat> However, if we continue on in reading of the story, there's this back and forth play that occurs and takes place where God simultaneously will harden Pharaoh's heart and then Pharaoh himself will harden his heart against God. <clears throat> you see, the tension within this is that God is sovereign. God is going to do what he is going to do, and he is going to do it how he chooses to do it. <clears throat> He's in control of everything and everyone, even the heart of a ruler like Pharaoh. <clears throat> Yet at the same time, Pharaoh has his own personal responsibility. Pharaoh had some choice in the way that he was acting here. Even before God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh was persecuting and killing and murdering and horribly treating the people of God. He was beating them. He took their children and threw them in the river to drown and die. That all took place far before the text reveals that God hardened his heart. But see, at the same time, God was also going to be extremely gracious to Pharaoh. He would give him nine separate opportunities to humble himself and to say, wait a minute. I, you know, God, I am not in control. You are. I understand now. We've, we've gone through a whole lot of stuff here, but I finally get it. You are God. But he wouldn't do that. He continued to harden his heart, and ultimately it, it, it resulted in judgment. A judgment that, that brought about the death of all the firstborn children in the land of Egypt. God was displaying his righteousness. God was displaying who he was. God was engaging the heart of Pharaoh. <clears throat> he would prove that he alone would have the power to deliver his people. <clears throat> You see, this, this only wouldn't impact the heart of Pharaoh, though. It would also point out something about the heart of Moses as well. You see, here in the text, God is explicitly telling Moses that he is going to fail. You see, here God is, is saying that Pharaoh will not listen. He's not going to do what you ask him. He's not going to heed your advice. He's not going to take in your words. Now, why, why is this important? Why is this important to point out that God will not listen? Because it's saying that faith is a gift of God. Moses' responsibility was to be faithful to proclaim the message. Moses had no responsibility to convince or coerce or manipulate Pharaoh into doing as he wanted or to making him believe. Nobody can make another individual believe. Only God can do this. <clears throat> it wasn't Moses' job to get a conversion. It was Moses' job to faithfully proclaim the word. And over this, over this last week, I was, I was particularly struck and hit hard by this 
this heart engagement. You see, God, God hit me in my felt experience. He hit me in my emotion. He hit me in my heart. My, my father-in-law is, is not a great guy. He was an absentee father, a drug addict, a womanizer, a racist, and, and he's currently experiencing liver failure and all the health complications that go along with that. But over this last week, we get this call that he is being fl- flown down here to Portland to be evaluated to be the recipient of a new liver. Well, I, w- I was knocked off guard. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was upset. I was angry. I was furious. I felt, this isn't fair. This, this man has been a horrible person. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve a second chance. He doesn't deserve to be given a new organ so that he can continue to live. You see, my heart was hardened to this individual. I was choosing to proclaim judgment upon him. I was saying that he was unworthy to receive a second chance. You see, I was cut to the heart. I, who while I was lost in my sin and rebellion against God, was given new life because God graciously chose to cover my shame and guilt with the blood of his own son, now found myself declaring that another man was a lost cause, unworthy of a second chance. You see, while I have experienced such amazing grace and forgiveness from God, I questioned why such a man as this, such a man as my father-in-law, was worthy of forgiveness himself. As I wrestled with this tension, I, I groaned, I cried out to God. I shared, I shared this truth with my wife, who, not surprisingly, herself had also been wrestling with this tension as well. And I shared it with my home community, and, and I, I'm, I'm still working through it, but I humbled myself before God, and I said, God, I am not in control. I am not the judge. I do not change hearts. You do. Only you can change a hardened heart. And I pray that he will change the hardened heart of my father-in-law. But God doesn't only change and soften the hardened hearts of those who do not believe in him. He can soften the heart of us who do believe in him. The Lord will be known as he engages the head and as he engages the heart. And so too, he will be known as he engages the hands. Verses 4 through 5 say, Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. 
See, with our hands, we take action. We participate, we create, we destroy. Here, the Lord will make himself known to Pharaoh and to Egypt with the action of his mighty hand. And one of the ways that God would, would do this would be by bringing my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. You see, through the protective and gentle hand of God and his love and his mercy, he would gently guide and care for his people as they were brought out of bondage and slavery and delivered into freedom and salvation. The means by which the Lord would bring his people out of oppression would be through great acts of judgment. Judgment upon Egypt. Judgment upon the oppressors. As we will see in, in the coming weeks, God will display his justice over the unjust evil of Pharaoh through ten separate plagues. Water to blood, swarms of frogs, dust that becomes gnats that cover the land, swarms of flies, dying livestock, boils that cover the body, hail that destroys the crops, and locusts that cover the land, and three days of total and complete darkness. And then ultimately, the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt. It is by these acts that the Egyptians shall know who the Lord is. This may not have been a response that led the Egyptians to acceptance and repentance, but it was a guarantee that Pharaoh and all of Egypt would be not be able to deny the power and presence of God with his people. Ultimately, this would engage the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians themselves, as they would send out the Israelites with gold and silver and fine clothing in their hands. <clears throat> the Lord will be known in Egypt and all throughout the world as he engages the head, the heart, and the hands of his people. And this would all be accomplished as God used faithful individuals to make himself known. Verses 6 through 7 say, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 83 years old, and Aaron, sorry, Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron, 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron took steps of faithful obedience. Even though at times, as we have seen, they questioned and they petitioned, they had their apprehensions, they had a submission to the mission. And what was that mission, you might ask? What was the task that they had been given? Evangelism. They were given the task of the proclamation of the word of the Lord of creation. In the midst of a burning bush, God revealed himself to Moses, and he grabbed a hold of him and never let go. God would use Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt and ultimately to bring them to himself. 
the Lord would reveal himself as deliverer as he engaged the head, the heart, and the hands of his people. If you are a Christian, if God has grabbed a hold of you through the pouring out of his grace and mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross at Calvary, if you have been given new life, a second chance, through the Son of God that stands as a victorious champion over sin and death, then you are an evangelist. You are one of God's messengers who carries the good news to your friends, to your family, your co-workers, and even to your enemies. <clears throat> as one 20th century pastor once wrote, Our Lord has no eyes, no feet, no hands to use now, but those of his people in his church, which is his body. Each member has a function and an obligation. As it was in the church of the early days of Christianity, when men, women, and even children went everywhere talking of the Savior and of redeeming love, so should it be today. <clears throat> Evangelism is the office of all believers. Every believer in Christ holds an office in the church. The office of witnessing for Christ, and it is the highest, most honorable, most useful office in the world, the office of all believers. Now, evangelism can be, can be a loaded term. When we think of evangelism, we think of a guy who's standing out on the street corner, hollering at people, or Billy Graham, who is a great evangelist that had stadiums and, and crowds that came and heard him speak. But as we are evangelists, we are people who are meant to go and engage with our neighbors, to engage with our friends. We are to create relationships. We are to know one another so that the Lord can be known. Church, regardless of age, regardless of your life stage, we who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus are to engage in the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I command you. Yet we do not do this on our own. For God assures us that, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as we close, we come to the communion tables and we lay aside our will. We confess our sin and our rebellion against God, a God who has engaged us in our head with knowledge, in our heart with his affection, and in our hands by what he has accomplished for us. And we take courage that we are not alone because God has graciously poured out his spirit upon us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who delivers. You are a God who, who takes your people and brings them to yourself. That you are a God who takes us on a journey. A journey that begins with, with hearing of who you are, that flows down into us experiencing 
you, being touched and cut to the heart, and that flows out in our actions through our hands with the way that we treat one another, with the way that we interact with our friends, our family, and our neighbors, and making you known. God, I pray that you would be glorified as we draw nearer and nearer to you in faithfulness to your word. Praise things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.